Voyage Voyage Red Meat Village Red Meat Village Red Meat Village You hear three lunatics rob the cartel drop in Brooklyn last night? I guess I'm not as plugged in as you are. 2.4 million worth of coke. What, someone stop and weigh it? Just what I heard. What name you gonna use in the contest? Humphrey Van Waden. <laughs> oh, why not Hubert C. Hornswingle? Two cumbers. Yeah, but Humphrey Van Waden just rolls off the tongue. You and Gail are the only ones who know why I chose that name. You're going down, Reggie. Worse than you did when you fought Big Sleep. How long you gonna keep bringing that up? I won the fight, didn't I? <laughs> Please. You sat on that mat like you just slapped your mom. Lose a fight, then. I'll have something else to bring. Bet on it. See what odds you can get. Yeah, right. I don't have your kind of money. Speaking of, I'm late to make a couple hundred bucks to illuminate the minds of our youth. <laughs> Let me know how that tenure works out. Hey, mine was a backhanded compliment. I sighed and looked up from the manuscript I was working on. In a few months, I'd probably be denied tenure. My first book had been well received. My only shot to retain employment was to finish the second one quickly and effectively. Even then, it was a long shot. Too many people in the department resented me. Many had reason to. The truth was, I was half in, half out. I had a second career of sorts. Lisa Flowers. She leaned toward me across the desk. I noticed, as always, the reddish-brown shoulder-length hair, the dark, intelligent eyes, and most and worst of all, the glittering diamond and gold band on her left hand. My sister's gone, Tony. For how long? Long enough that I came to tell you. Where was she last? Brownsville. Uh, Red Meat Village. Tony, she was an honor student. She was going to grad school here. Sounds like she was smart enough to choose better friends. <laughs> you're all heart. I see why your students love you. Hey, I'm a philosophy professor and a writer trying to complete a manuscript. That's all. You're a do-good part-time private investigator, solving cases that no one else can. May I? She knew she didn't need to ask and sat down before I answered. Anthony. <sighs> Internally, I groaned. She never used my proper name. I knew the request that was coming. Mrs. Flowers. This wasn't a married name. I neglected the doctor title of this part-time psychology professor and full-time psychotherapist. I knew both what she wanted and that I couldn't refuse her. She smiled. <laughs> she knew it too. Find her, Tony, please. She's my kid sister. She's in trouble. So, uh, if I help, you divorcing? Nicholas Bueno, Nikki Good on the street, was her Argentine husband, a ne'er-do-well, never known to hold a job, leeching off his wife, hooked on bodybuilding, steroids, and coke. Her dark eyes heated as they always did when I disparaged her man. If he heard that, he'd bend you in half for the fun of it. Even when annoyed, like now, her diction, her accent, and her alluring eyes 
always retained the upscale demeanor of her Upper West Side upbringing. I stared at her. I knew she'd run with Hell's Kitchen Tufts when she was a rebellious teenager, but I never saw a sign of it. Yeah, Reggie might not approve of my new shape. Why'd you marry him anyway? Smart women, foolish choices. Why do you stay married to him? She got up and walked to the door. She turned, and now her eyes were serious. Please, find her. Her final words were a plea, devoid of any banter. Her eyes, for an instant, the barrier lowered. Something warm radiated, something from an internal locus that suffused empathy like sunlight. Then the wall erected again, but not before I swallowed deep in my throat. She was halfway out when I called to her. Hey, Lisa. She turned around. Photo, description, distinguishing marks. Anything I can use to idea. I'll get it to you. I also got questions. Friends, contacts, habits, known associates and such. I've got answers, but I'm in session in an hour. I gotta get home. Soon. Then she was through the door and... Nothing was left of her in the room but her scent. <laughs> it was enough. I went to Reggie's apartment. He had a spare bedroom outfitted exclusively for his obsessive habit. It featured an oversized dark brown leather easy chair with standing reading lamps on either side. By its right hand was a small brown table with a few highlighters and red pens on its surface. There was no television, no stereo, no sofa. Reggie didn't drink alcohol. He didn't smoke. He scorned all forms of drugs, even begrudging an occasional pair of aspirins he took to ease aching muscles. He read. A lot. Constantly. Lining every wall of his hideaway were wrapped around bookcases, floor to ceiling, overstuffed with books, alphabetized by author, divided into sections, overwhelmingly literature, but also history and the small section of leading history of philosophy texts, carefully marked up, annotated, and discussed with me. His alcoholic father called him a pussy bookworm at times when he beat him. Reggie refused to hit back. His mother had been a nurse, supportive of her only child, but it descended into hard times, then drug addiction, then death. He was alone. I turned to I suppose we're not calling the NYPD. Nope. They're hampered by the punctilios of the law. Punctilios? It means niceties or amenities of conduct. I am so going to beat your ass in the essay contest. The university had decided to hold an essay contest, open to students and faculty and their sponsored guests. It was supposed to foster a sense of community or some bullshit. Reggie and I just wanted a chance to beat each other at something. You can try, <laughs> but we already know you're not smarter than me. Yeah? Why is that? You've been dragooned against your will into detective work by a fine psychologist you're panting for. Uh-huh. Well, now I'm dragooning you. So if you say yes, then which one of us is the idiot? We can debate in the car. Lisa had given me her sister's name. Destiny. Yeah, I thought she was screwing with me too, but nope, that really was her name. Reggie went with me to meet Detective Damien Stacy. 
Stacy's full head of white hair made him look 70 years old. He was 46. I showed him a picture of Destiny that Lisa had given me. She was 21 and had this tattoo on the left side of her neck of twin dragons encircling each other. Stacy sent me to Ann Cassidy, a patrol cop who worked in Brownsville for years. Ann and I were both vets. Me, G2 in Iraq, her, USMC, Persian Gulf One. She had nothing for me, but promised to look into it. At the university, I got Destiny's home address from my friend in the admissions office, Kate Norris. I circled back up with Reggie. We met at a park, Betsy Head, near Lisa's sister's address. Reggie marked it as gangland. I took Molly, my 9mm, which I kept in my shoulder harness. Destiny awaits? Destiny's neighbors are first. Destiny's neighbors. Destiny's neighbors sound like a hippie band. We skirted past the park and ambled a short distance to Destiny's address. The houses were dark and nobody was in the street. Thick gray clouds had rolled in with a damp cold. Looked like snow. I glanced around the street. We'll wait. People home from work soon. Army day. We crossed the street to watch from the other side. We paced the other side of the street. We watched ceaselessly. We talked about the essay contest. We talked about the chances of Lisa getting divorced. We talked about my past engagement to Jessica Miranda, who Reggie had never met, and about my reasons for breaking it off. We talked about my next book. We talked about Reggie's rise to the heavyweight title. A light snow started to fall. We walked some more. We kept talking. Jessica is a DEA agent now, right? Yeah, she is. Are you on speaking terms? Nope. You broke her heart. I know. I still remember, all these years later, the stricken look of her eyes when I ended it. We were silent for a minute. Then Reggie spoke. We're combing the drug-infested sections of Red Meat Village, looking for Destiny Hunter. It would be additive to have a DEA agent for a resource. Without a doubt. Is this a tender topic? For me, a little. For her, a lot. For how long now? Six years. Your last long-term relationship? A car glided down the street, moving slow, looking for a spot. I watched it roll past us, then slide around the corner. It skidded slightly on the slick pavement. Yeah, I dated different women, but until Lisa, there's been nobody like Jessica. Is Jessica married now? Nah, I would have heard. Six years? Before this dance with Destiny is done, we might have to contact her. Well, could be. He said no more about it. We kept walking. We watched relentlessly. It was almost 6.15. A tall, stout woman started up the stairs to Destiny's building. She wore a a navy blue kerchief knotted around a bun of dark hair. She hefted an overstuffed shopping bag from a woman's clothing store. We darted across the street. Ma'am? She turned to face us. She was light-skinned, biracial, I guessed 40-ish, wore round, oversized glasses, and looked surprisingly unperturbed at the large man and his companion converging on her in the dark street. Can I help you? Her voice was churchgoer sweet. We have questions about Destiny Hunter. Oh, 
She fumbled around for the keys in her bag. The police were already here, but come on in. She unlocked the outer door and then the inner one to her apartment. She ushered us in, turned on several floor lamps. The apartment was comfortable with large reddish-brown area rugs covering well-polished hardwood floors. There was an overstuffed, well-worn sofa in the living room center, a glass coffee table with a vase of artificial geraniums, and an old-school console TV across from the sofa. There was a painting of Jesus on the wall above the television. The color of the area rugs reminded me of Lisa's hair. I shook my head. Would you boys like some tea? Oh, uh, no thank Tea would be divine, thank you. She served the tea, and we sat around the coffee table. Are you friends of Destiny's? I had my first chance to take a good look at her. Her voice and her eyes were tender with mercy. Jesus had taught her to love everybody, I guessed. She wore a loose-fitting blue ankle-length dress and low black heels. I'm Tony. This is Reggie. Pleasure to meet you. I'm Marjorie Smoke. I'm a private eye, ma'am. Well, I'm afraid I haven't seen Destiny in some time. How much time? Mm, must be a couple of weeks. I've been in her apartment twice to clean it like she asked a couple of years ago, but there's no sign that she's been there. You got a key? Yes, we have a key to each other's place. It's good to do with someone you trust in case of emergency. She saw the hopeful expression of my face. Oh, but I swore to the police that I would not let anybody in there. Yeah, look, Marjorie, I, uh, I just spoke to the cops. They're not concerned yet about Destiny's disappearance. We are. Time's critical. Such a nice girl. You know, she's a psychology. We know. But there's no telling who might have gotten their hands on her. Especially in this neighborhood. Oh, I know. It's been going downhill in the last couple of years. Especially at night. I don't want to start any trouble with the police. You won't start any trouble with the cops. But you might save Destiny Hunter from a mess of trouble. All right. I'm willing to trust you boys. She took a key from a desk drawer in the next room. She lives upstairs. She flicked on a light and led us up the stairs. At the landing stood one door. Brown, unmarked, nondescript. Mangerie undid the lock, and we followed her in. She turned on an overhead light. Do you want me to leave you to your sleuthing? I, I can go back downstairs rather than get in your way. No, no, no. Please stay, Mangerie. We may have questions. It was one large room, like a dorm room of a college kid, with a small bathroom off to one side. Textbooks were piled on a card table adjacent to a double bed. A reading lamp hung from the top of the bedboard. A computer and various pens and pads occupied a desk by the room's sole window. There was a small metallic filing cabinet across from the bed. On top was a hard blue paperweight in the shape of a swallowtail hummingbird, the Jamaican national bird. On the wall above it hung a single photograph. It was of a young, pretty girl on the ground smiling her arms around the neck of a golden retriever. If dogs could smile, the retriever was. Reggie immediately went to the filing cabinet, got on his knees and pulled open the bottom drawer. I switched on Destiny's computer, hoping I could hack into her personal email account. I couldn't. I opened the desk drawer and went through its contents. Just a bunch of pens, a memo pad, a sheaf of loose paper. Then I stopped. 
There was a faded photograph of a young girl, maybe 10, standing ankle deep in water so blue it resembled a painting more than a photograph. In the distant background were hills and a cliff with a lighthouse perched atop. I stared at it. The Caribbean, I'd bet. Several minutes went by, and then I noticed a stain on the wall behind the desk and computer near the floor. Was it blood? I stooped to examine it. Reggie banged through the file cabinet's metallic drawers. We were so absorbed we didn't hear the door quietly latch shut and lock. She was such a nice girl. The sweetness of Mongerie's voice matched the scene. I think you need to look at this. Reggie and I turned around. She reached into the folds of a blue dress and withdrew a pair of slimline automatic pistols. They looked black as a striking cobra and just as friendly. She pointed one at Reggie's chest, the other at mine. You think you're going to find Destiny Hunter? Aiming guns in my direction is a quick way to shorten your life expectancy, ma'am. Your life expectancy is about 30 seconds, the both of you. Her head jerked slightly at me. This time, her voice didn't sound quite as sweet. Monsieur, please. We're just trying to find Destiny. Maybe there are people who don't want her found. Maybe Destiny herself. She held the gun steady, not waving him around like an amateur. Reggie was crouched, still. A tiger poised to strike. I sat motionless, right hand shielded from view, getting a grip on the chair. Her view was split in two directions. She blinked. I overturned Destiny's chair, flinging it aside, and lunged sideways. Reggie, whose hands in motion could not be seen, left-handed, grabbed a heavy hummingbird paperweight and flung it at Marshall's face. He plunged to the deck. Instinctively, she threw up her right hand to block the projectile. She missed and dropped the gun. The metallic object struck her flush on the chin, stunning her, driving her back against the locked door. I dived behind the foot of Destiny's bed, and Molly was in my right hand. I pointed the nine at her chest. She pushed off the door and shook her head, trying to clear her vision. Two-handed, she lined up her gun's sights on me. Drop the gun! Red Meat Village is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Midas, and Dan Benamore. Directed, produced, and adapted by Dan Benamore. Based on Andrew Bernstein's upcoming novel of the same name. When a link to the novel is available, it will be listed in the show notes. Starring Catherine Bell as Lisa, Malik Yoba as Reggie, and Ryan Heppy as Tony. Additional cast credits are available in the show notes. Edited, sound designed, and mixed by Nick Misidi. Original music by Derlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, and subscribe now for future episodes.